Well, every now and then, we were joking last night, I was at the Southwest football game after a wedding, and Jim McCracken, those of you that know Jim, know who he is. He's kind of the apostolic guy that we look to as a, a leader of ours, and he's up at Grace Life today installing another elder up there. And we were talking, and he says to me, so what are you preaching on tomorrow? And he says, well, I think. I said, I think. And he goes, you think? And we were joking. He says, I, he says it only takes me two minutes to get a sermon now. I've been doing this for so long. He said, it takes me about three days to get a title. So, and this week in particular, I was really wrestling back and forth. We had a wedding, and I'm preparing for a couple other weddings. And I would really what I was trying to do was to change what I was going to speak on, I think. And uh, <clears throat> not that I'm looking for sympathy, but I was at the church here at a quarter to 12 last night, and I was back here at a quarter after 5 this morning wrestling with this. So if it's not very good, it's because I'm tired, okay? But... The songs and the teaching that Bob did this morning, Pastor Bob did in the Sunday school class, the adult Sunday school class, and just the words of the song and everything we've been singing, I think really confirmed in my heart anyway. It may be only for me, but it's what I'm supposed to hear today. So we're going to be looking at Timothy, the books of Timothy, in particular 2 Timothy. Now for those that uh, are, are visitors, I've been encouraging our church, our body, to be reading through the New Testament in a year. And... I know there's at least me and at least one or two other people doing that. So if you're doing that, you realize we're about up to the first and second Timothy. And up to this point, Paul has been writing a bunch of letters to a bunch of churches. You know, after we get through with Acts, we go into Romans, and then we go into all these different churches that he's writing letters to, churches that he looks to as an apostolic father who's, who's he's put his sweat and blood and tears and at times his very life on the line for these churches. So he has a real passion for these churches, a burden for these churches. And he writes all these letters. Many times he was having to correct them. Many times he was kind of rebuking them. Other times it was just to encourage them. And now when we get to Timothy, the first letter of Timothy and the second letter of Timothy, it's no longer to a church. This is a very personal letter to Timothy. But as the word of God is, it has so much application for each one of us individually and for the churches corporately. So we're going to give just a little bit of background uh, before I get into the scriptures themselves. We're going to be looking at 2 Timothy. Now the first letter of Timothy was written to him somewhere around 63 AD. So somewhere in the area of 20 to 25 years after the birth of the church. And the second letter was written about three years after that. And Timothy, if you're not aware, Timothy was a protege of Paul. Paul was his mentor, his teacher. We don't know how old he was for sure, but his youth keeps getting referenced at different times, that he was young. And Paul had taken Timothy with him on different trips to different churches. And then when he got to this church that that in Ephesus, um, he said, you know, there's, there's some things amiss here. I'm going to leave you here, young Timothy, and I want you to kind of be the guy. I want you to correct all the false doctrine. I want you to deal with the issues that are going on in the church, issues of sin going on in the church, and then I want you to set in leadership in the church. It was a big task for anybody. Uh, by a, a lot of people's uh, historical perspective, the church there was sort of a mess, And by the time the second letter is written in in 63 A.D., the the Roman Empire was very hostile towards Christianity. 
really, Paul, we know the story. He faced a lot of persecution. The Christians faced persecution. But the reality is, overall, it was relatively smooth sailing for the church those first 25 years. Relatively smooth sailing. Then a guy by the name of Nero became the leader, the emperor of Rome. And if you know anything about your history, Nero was about as evil as evil gets in every way. In every way. And history has it that when he was the emperor in Rome, he he didn't really like a lot of the buildings in Rome. So he is blamed for the huge fires that burnt a whole lot of Rome. But he didn't obviously take the blame. He blamed those darn Christians. And they started persecuting. As a matter of fact, he put out an executive order. You find any Christians, kill them. And that's where all of a sudden the church was at. The church had become not such a safe, warm, fuzzy place. If you were a so-called Christian or if you were a marginal Christian, what I really mean by that is you were hanging around with the Christians, saying you were one, one, were one, but you probably really weren't. The church did a real pruning at this time. It wasn't all that good to be one of those so-called Christians in much of the Roman Empire. And this is kind of what's going on as Paul is writing this second letter to Timothy. And he's, we're going to see it's a letter filled with encouragement. And we don't know for sure, but the way the letter is written, you could come to the conclusion or the assumption that, that Timothy's kind of frustrated and burnt out, almost ready to quit. But we don't know that. But the way it's written, we could apply it to some of us that way. You ever get wore out? You ever get frustrated? You ever get to the place where you're about ready to just give up on the whole Christianity thing, the faith thing? You know, the world we're living in is kind of dark, getting darker every day, which doesn't surprise God in the least, by the way. And as Christians and as the church, we're not to live in fear as the world's getting darker. Because there's something that's really cool that happens when the world gets really, really dark. You know what that is? Our light shines even brighter. And we are told in the Word of God, before Jesus comes back, it's going to get bad. So we don't need to listen to all the stuff on the news and all the stuff the candidates are saying. We don't have to look at all these things and get filled with fear and despair. We need to pray. We need to be concerned. We need to be involved. But we need to be filled with faith, confidence. We are the light in the world as Timothy was to take this church in this evil city of Ephesus and he was to take this church and and keep it on track keep it going in the right direction and as I was reading through just the first chapter especially over and over and over I'm thinking man oh man this sounds in a lot of ways just like today just like today there's so much darkness people are you know I've been reading some studies online about the people are being totally consumed with fear because of an election. Now, there are some things in there that are a little scary, but what in the world are Christians doing getting filled with fear about an election? My Bible says that every leader that we will ever have or ever have had was put there by God. By God. And that we are commanded to pray for those leaders. Now, we all have preferences of who we want that person to be, but you know what? God's going to ultimately decide who our leader is going to be. And there's a line that goes like this. God will give a nation a leader that they deserve. 
to bring about his purposes. Because his heart, as our Heavenly Father, is always to bring people back to him, back to himself, back to being true followers, true disciples of Jesus Christ. When Paul's writing this letter, it's kind of the last words of a guy who knows he's going to be dead. If you know the history a little bit, Paul had been arrested and he'd been to a ship and he finally got thrown in a Roman jail. But he was acquitted that time. It was a technicality kind of that he was being charged with. And historians believe that he was released and then he was arrested a second time. And the second time he was arrested, it was under the authority of Nero. And knew, he knew what was coming. Uh, he was about to lose his head any day. And ultimately he did. He was beheaded for the gospel. So we could look at this in, in one sense and say, these are the last words of a dying man to his protege. Kind of, this is the guy, one of the guys he was passing the baton to when he passed the baton to Timothy. So I want us to be encouraged as we go through this. The title of my message is Renewing Our Passion. Renewing Our Passion. We sang a lot of songs this morning about our passion. And for some of us, it maybe should be titled Finding Our Passion. You know, this morning, before any of you were here, or most of you were here, Cindy Barnes was up here, I think, on the stage somewhere over here. And Laura Hibna walked through the door. Laura played piano for you that don't know. Cindy was the one up here playing those little things. I always call them congos or bongos, but I never get it right. So whatever they are. And when she sees Laura back there, she throws up her arms and goes, a W, a win. And I'm like, what? How many of you know the Cubs won last night? (laughs) Laura and Cindy know the Cubs won last night. Pinch hit, grand slam, home run. There's some passion there. And we all have passion for lots of things. But as Christians, there should be nothing, nothing that you're as passionate about as being a disciple of Christ. And the church isn't that passionate about being disciples of Christ. It's no wonder the world looks at the church as being kind of irrelevant in the broadest sense. We should be the most relevant group of people on the planet. But we're not. But it's never too late. You ever heard the the saying, it's always too soon to quit? It's always too soon to quit. The church is called to rise up. We see it throughout the Bible. To rise up. Be the church. Be the representation of Christ to the world. Be the light in the darkness. I don't like the darkness that's out there. I don't like the evil that's out there. I wish it would all go away. But the good news is, if you and I are truly lights for Christ, we're going to look brighter and brighter and brighter as the darkness increases. And people are going to be drawn to the light. They're going to be drawn to someone who's at peace. They're going to be drawn to someone who has hope. Someone who is filled with faith and not walking in fear. And that's where the world is, and it's going to just get worse and worse and worse. And that's kind of where the world was in the time of Timothy. So Paul writes to Timothy, telling him, it's not time to quit. It's way too soon to quit. Paul's message in the first chapter of Timothy can be summarized in these five points. One, remember your heritage. And we'll look at the scriptures in just a minute. Remember your heritage. 
rekindle your spiritual gifts, refuse to be intimidated, recommit to the gospel message, and respond to God's call. We're going to look at each one of those real briefly as I go through. And I'm going to just be reading the scriptures a couple verses at a time. But I want to go start there with remember your heritage. If you start reading in verse 3, it says, Paul is, is writing this to Timothy. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers day and night, longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. He goes on in verse 5 and says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm sure that it is in you as well. He's encouraging him right out of the bat by reminding him of his spiritual heritage. We all have one. We all have one. Some of us in here, some of you in here, are blessed to have a spiritual heritage, maybe like Timothy's. Maybe it's two or three generations of Christians that knew the Lord, loved the Lord, served the Lord. And you've got that in you. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, it's in you. No matter what's going around around you, remember, it's in you. It's there, that faith, that sincere faith. I've seen it, it's there. That's his heritage. That's your heritage. And for us, it's the same way. We have that kind of spiritual heritage. But some of us in here, it doesn't matter whether our heritage is good, looks good like Timothy's, or not so good. Because if I look at my spiritual heritage, and it's one where I'm a first-generation Christian. As a matter of fact, my family still thinks I'm nuts. And a lot of us are like that. We need to remember our spiritual heritage that was not there. What did God rescue you from? What did he pull you out of? What kind of darkness? What kind of despair? How, what kind of lostness were you in? And somehow or other, somebody, probably somebody, helped lead you to or expose you to the truth of the gospel, and the Holy Spirit started doing this thing inside of you that at first you probably thought, what in the world is that? How can I feel these things? What's going on? And you were saved. And you are now starting a new spiritual heritage for every generation to follow. He's saying, remember your spiritual heritage. If it was awesome, if you're a third or fourth, fifth generation of faith, and that faith is in you, praise God. Hang on to it. That's what he's saying to Timothy. Hang on to it. Don't let the world destroy you. Don't let it distract you. Focus on your faith. But I think for most of us in here, a lot of us in here, we're first or second generation at best, true believers in Jesus Christ. Most of us might have grown up with some religion, but that's not what it's about. It's about a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you have been rescued, we have that spiritual heritage to motivate us, to drive us. We will be blessed as we remember where we came from, whether it was good or whether it was bad. The second point I want to bring out is to rekindle your spiritual gifts. You know, I hope we're beyond the place where some of us still think, I ain't got none. You know what? You have gifts and you have talents. 
Some of them were put in you the, the nine months that God was forming you in your mother's womb. And a number of the other gifts were given to you the moment you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior and you became a child of God. And there were even more gifts activated and bestowed upon you if you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. We've all got gifts. We've all got talents. Timothy had gifts and talents. It says in verse 6, For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. There's a couple of words there that it would do well to, to do a little word study on. Rekindle, meaning to revive. It's like there's this fire that the embers are just kind of smoldering. It's, it's time to let the Holy Spirit blow on those embers and get that fire flaming again. Get it going. Get it bur burning brightly. Make it do something so it's useful. Stir up those gifts. And then timidity, that spirit of timidity. The word there actually has a little more meaning that's not quite as friendly sounding. He hasn't given you a spirit of cowardice. He hasn't given you a spirit of fearfulness. A spirit of timidity. That's not what he's given you. He has given you something else, and he has given you a spirit of power, power a spirit of love and discipline, or self-control, or a sound mind, however you want to define that last word. That's what's been given to us. And he's telling Timothy, he says, Timothy, remember, it's already in there. And that's what we all need to be reminded of at times. It's already in there. If you're a born-again believer, if you've truly accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit now lives and dwells in you. It's already in there. The Spirit, the power of love, the power to do ministry, the power to have self-control, self-discipline, have a self-mind. The Holy Spirit's in there. And he's just reminding him, don't get distracted. Don't get dismayed. Don't go into despair. And whatever you do, don't quit. It's already in you. Stir it up again. Stir it up. Whatever you have, do it. Use it. Use it. Use it. What gifts do you have? Assuming you have one, and you've got more than one. Use it. You might think, well, it's not that big a deal. You know what? There are so many things you can use for the glory of God, your giftings. Can you teach? Teach. Can you write? Write something. Can you sing? Sing. Can you cook? Cook to the glory of God. I was hoping eat would be in my list, but it's not. But if you can cook, Whatever it is you can do. You know, if you have the gift of, of wisdom, gift of knowledge, the gift of prophecy, use them. You know what it means to, to fan the flame? Sometimes I hear a phrase like that and it sounds so nice and spiritual. Well, you just fan the gift, fan the flame, the gift that's in you, stir it up. And it's like, what the heck does that mean? You want to know how to stir it up? This is going to be profound. Get your pencil out. I'm going to tell you how to stir up the gift that's within you. And the best thing is it brings great blessing. Are you ready? Use it. Just use it. Stir it up. Use it. You'll be amazed. When you start using the gifts that are in you, it will increase in confidence and faith and effectiveness. And you know what? You are going to be blessed. What, what, what if I do something wrong? What if I do? Who cares? If it's really wrong, we'll get on your case. But it won't be. 
If you're attempting to hear the Holy Spirit stirring up the gifts that he's given you, the church needs it. It is a time for the church to have all hands on deck. I know I don't know what kind of church all of you came from, but I came from one where there was a hireling who was hired to be the pastor and the preacher, and he was supposed to preach, and then he was supposed to do whatever else preachers are supposed to do. And my job when I did go to church was to just sit there. Guess what? I didn't like just sitting there, so I didn't go much. Almost never towards the end. I don't want to be part of a church like that ever, ever again. I don't want to be a church where we've got to rely on one or two or three people to do everything. The leaders in a church are called to do what? Train up the body to do the work of the ministry. When, when Timothy is being talked to and Paul is teaching to him, sometimes they call us the pastoral letters. Paul writing to Pastor Timothy. And we go, oh good, I don't have to listen. I'm not one. You are called to ministry. You have a ministry. If you're saved, you have a ministry. And you're supposed to be active in your ministry. You know, the body comes together and we bring all this diversity. If you look around the room, man, we are different. We look different. We dress different. We talk different. We carry ourselves differently. Some of you have lots of facial hair and no hair in your head. We're different. But you have a ministry. So everything in here really does apply to our ministries. We just have to tweak it to what God's gifted us to do. Use it. All hands on deck. So remember your heritage. Rekindle the gift that's in you. And third, and my favorite one, refuse to be intimidated. I want to read the verses 8 through 12. Therefore, do not be ashamed. Therefore, therefore what? Because you have this faith in you, because you have the spirit of love, power, and self-discipline, because of those things, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Verse 10, But now has been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher. For this reason, I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day, till he comes again. Verse 8, he starts out by telling us, do not be ashamed. Do not be ashamed. And in verse 12, he says, I am not ashamed. He's writing this in prison, waiting to have his head cut off. Everybody's abandoned him. We'll look at that in a minute. Everybody's left him. Nobody wanted to be around Paul. He'd become toxic. And he says, I'm not ashamed. I am not ashamed. Ashamed of what? He says, don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the message of the gospel. Don't be ashamed of Jesus Christ. And then he says, and don't be ashamed of me. Don't be ashamed of me. Paul was on fire, bold. He was putting himself on the line all the time. A good place to stay safe would have been a long ways from Paul. But he said, don't be ashamed of me. And do not be ashamed of the gospel. 
Whatever you do, do not be ashamed of the Lord's people. Ever been ashamed of your face? It's a provoking question, isn't it? Have you ever been ashamed of your face? Ever kept quiet, kept quiet at work when everything inside of you was telling you you need to stand up for some truth here? You need to demonstrate Jesus here? And you didn't do it. You didn't do it. You were afraid. What would they think? What are they going to do? What if they go to a superior and I lose my job? Ever been afraid to speak up in high school kids, students? Ever been afraid to stand up and proclaim truth, stand up for what you know to be true and righteous? It isn't easy. You know, we have, is, is Olivia in here or is she in a classroom? She's probably cooking. She's prob- that's probably good. She'd be embarrassed. What grade is she in? Junior? So she's a junior in high school. Is it a history class that she was in with this Catholic priest and Lutheran pastor? There were so many questions the teacher brought in a Catholic priest and a Lutheran pastor. Olivia, she went home and started studying and preparing and asking Brian and Mindy things, writing things down. She was going to be ready. And she went to the teacher and said something, I don't know what to ask. I don't want to cause trouble. He says, no, ask anything you want. She just said, I want to ask questions with the right attitude, the right heart, the right spirit. And she confronted a Catholic priest and an ELCA Lutheran pastor with tough questions. Tough questions. Most of the classmates went to one of those two churches. And as the teacher said, Olivia, boy, you got him. And she wasn't trying to get him. She was trying to dig out and represent truth. Now, when you do that, whether it's in school or in your workplace, ever go to a family reunion? Oh, boy, I don't know that I want to be the Christian here. I'm outnumbered, everybody to one. Bring your wife, then there's two of you. Or your husband. Or three, my mother's with me. Saw that hand, Mom. Do we have to go further or we can stop at three? <laughs> but the opportunities, things happen, things come up, things get said, things are talked about, activities get started, and you know what? We know that we should probably say something, remove ourselves. But are we ashamed of the gospel? Are we ashamed of the message? We don't want to ever be ashamed of the message. It's, it would be like this. Can you imagine... If you, all of a sudden, by revelation from God or something, you now had the cure for all types of cancer. All of it. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, you knew it. But you didn't dare tell anybody because they might think you're stupid. They might not believe you. They might think you're a little bit touched. A little wacky. It would be criminal Not to do that. Not to share something that could change the world. And yet we have the cure for the cancer of sin that's destroying people for eternity. 
and yet we can be ashamed of the message. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, Timothy's son, my spiritual son, do not ever be ashamed of the message. Don't ever be ashamed of the Lord's people. Stand with them. Stand up for it. How could Paul be so bold? Pretty simple. When you look through those verses I read, he was saved by grace. Anybody here been saved by grace? Yeah, we owe a little debt there, don't we? Saved by grace. He was chosen by God. If you've been saved by grace, guess what? You were chosen by God. Then he goes on and says, Death has been destroyed, and immortality is now ours through Christ. And God will guard and protect us. Now, that should give you a little bit of boldness. Saved by grace. Chosen by God. Death has been destroyed. Immortality is ours through Jesus Christ. And then he says in verse 12, For I know whom I have believed. I know whom I have believed. Not I know about this guy I believed in. Not what I know about him. Not how much I know him. And those are all good things, but he's saying, I know whom I believed. Personal relationship. He knew Jesus. He knew who he was. He knew what he stood for. He knew what he had done. He knew him. He knew how much he was loved how much he was cherished. He knew all these things. And with that comes such a confidence that we do not need to be ashamed of the gospel, the message of Christ. Number four, recommit to the gospel. Verses 13 and 14, it says, Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure which you have been entrusted. We have been given and entrusted with the word of God. Not just the gospel message is in there, but the whole word of God. This is the book, the manual on how to live your life to the fullest, how to live in the blessings of God, the promises of God helps us to understand the Holy Spirit as best we can understand it that lives in us, the power that's there. He says, whatever you do, recommit to the gospel. Guard it. Recommit to the purity and truth of the gospel. The world is trying to totally destroy any credibility this book's got. They're attacking it, and they have been for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And it still withstands. We are called to guard the gospel. First time I heard that was a friend of mine who started a ministry called Protect the Gospel. And I thought, what a stupid thing. It's God's gospel. He'll protect it. He doesn't need our help. Then I come across this verse. Where we're being told to guard the gospel. You know how you guard this? There's a prerequirement, a prerequisite to guard the gospel. You know what it is? You've got to know what the heck it says. You've got to know what it says. We need to be re- able to recognize truth. And this is what he's saying. Timothy, guard the gospel. It's a treasure that's been given to you. The Holy Spirit, guard it. You know what's happened historically, cyclically, over and over? Little air creeps in. A little more air creeps in. The airs get a little bigger, but you don't notice. 
And before long, the church is filled with doctrine and theology that is absolutely not true. And we are in the midst of that cycle happening at an accelerating rate. We need to guard the gospel so we don't amend the gospel, we don't dilute the gospel, we don't change the gospel, we do not adulterate the gospel, we do not change anything in this book. And it's happening. And the church has been silent. Abortion. Well, it's Roman's right to choose. I am sorry, it is not. The Bible tells us that all life is a gift from God. It's called murder. Marriage is a union between one man, one woman for life. You know, it won't be long and I'll probably get arrested for saying something like that. But that's what we need to guard and look what's happened. No one even thinks twice about it anymore. No one thinks twice about it. Somebody who's in the church here was telling me about some people they know well, and they were excited. They're celebrating planning a marriage. You know what? The marriage was their daughter was marrying another woman. And they are church members and churchgoers, and it was exciting. You know, we need to love people in sin because that's who we were and that's who we are. But we do not change what the Word of God says. It's truth, absolute truth for always, for all people, for all time. And he's saying, Timothy, false teachers are creeping in. And boy, Timothy had a mess. He's saying, false teachers, guard the gospel. Guess what comes with guarding the gospel? Guess what comes with not being ashamed of the gospel? Persecution. Suffering. And Paul says, come on, join me in suffering for Christ. We are so afraid of suffering for Christ. The Bible tells us clearly that we are going to suffer with him. As he suffered, we will suffer. As he was persecuted, we will be persecuted. You know, with Paul, if he was a proud man, that was like a badge of honor. I am not ashamed of being a prisoner in Rome's jail. I am not ashamed that they're going to march me out and cut my head off. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed that I've been ran out of just about every town in Asia. I'm not ashamed. Because I know whom I have believed in. And he's willing to suffer like his Savior suffered. And the last one I want to mention, we're to remember our heritage, stir up and rekindle those spiritual gifts, refuse to be intimidated, Recommit to the truth of the gospel and last, respond to God's call. In verses 15 through 18, it says, You are aware of the fact that all who are in Asia turned away from me. That'd be a little discouraging. All who in Asia, Asia have turned away from me, among whom are Fugelis and Hemeenes. How's my vocabulary here? The Lord grant mercy to the house on Anciparus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he was in Rome, he eagerly searched for me and found me. The Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you may know very well what services he rendered at Ephesus. 
you know, everyone that you meet is either going to heaven or to hell. There's no third option. Everyone we meet is going to heaven or hell. And if we follow through with the first four things we've mentioned, some of the people are going to leave us. Some of them are going to abandon us. They're not going to want anything to do with you. But there will be those that remain faithful. There will be those that will stand with you. There will be those who respond to the call of the gospel. You know, you and I have been called to be witnesses for Christ, to be witnesses for the gospel. We have been called to be disciple makers. Go into all the world and make disciples. It doesn't say go into all the world and be a people pleaser. And boy, you know, we wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. Go and make disciples. We've been called to be co-laborers with Christ, and we've been called to share with his sufferings. It's inevitable. It's, it's a biblical guarantee, a biblical promise. If you serve Christ, you will suffer for it. It's not something we want to run headlong into, but it's not something we want to avoid. If we're truly serving Christ, it's an honor to suffer for him. In 2 Timothy 1, 8 and 9 that I read earlier, I want to kind of start wrapping this up with this. It says this, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us, called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. The reality is, guys, and I can get wound up in it just as much as anybody, we are living in exciting times. We are living in exciting times. You know what? We may actually be the generation that's alive when Jesus comes back. And I know every generation going back to Paul has said that. But boy, oh boy, a whole lot of that clock has been unwinding since then. And things are going at such an accelerated pace. We are living in exciting, exciting times. We need to be about fulfilling our commission. You know, sharing the gospel. You know, you've got to remember, ultimately, it's God's job to back up his gospel. It's God's job to change the heart of a hardened person. Nobody was going to change my heart. Nobody was going to change my mind. I would argue till I was blue in the face. <laughs> and I'm not alone. But God can change a heart. That's his job. Our part is to simply be faithful. Be faithful. Do what he's asked us to do. Trust him completely. Paul said those simple words, I'm not ashamed. The challenge in my own heart all week was, am I? Are you ashamed of the gospel? Let's close in prayer. Lord, I thank you and praise you first and foremost for Jesus. That we belong to you because we've surrendered our life to Jesus and accepted his gift of salvation through his sacrifice, his burial, his death, his burial, and resurrection. God, I thank you that you didn't leave us alone. You sent the Holy Spirit that lives and dwells in us. You have not given us a spirit of fear or, or cowardice. You have given us a spirit of love, of power. You've given us sound mind the mind of Christ. 
God, I pray you would help us to let you release that through us, that we would be forever unashamed of the gospel, forever unashamed of those who stand up for the gospel. God, I pray that you would put in each one of us by your spirit just a hunger and desire for your word that we might know you better. Lord, I thank you that you have gathered together here in this place, a church who loves you and believes in your word. Lord, I pray you would just release grace in each one of us to take that word out into the, to the world. That as the, the darkness gets darker, Lord, we might shine brighter and brighter and brighter. God, that this, this is a room full, a building full of ministers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we thank you for that. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.